This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, welcome back. We're working our way through the fall into sin. And um, we've talked about so far how when Adam and Eve fall into sin, the first thing they try to do just is the same that you tried to do when you got in trouble when you were a kid. Uh, they tried to hide it. We talked about how that went, and it didn't go that well. They tried to make garments out of leaves. They jumped in the bushes, all to hide from God, but they couldn't actually keep themselves hidden from God um, because God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's located everywhere. We cannot hide our sins or take them away from God's view by our own work. And then when God comes, um, what he does is he gives Adam and Eve the opportunity to confess the things that they have done that are wrong, the opportunity to confess their sins. And Adam and Eve, just like us, don't do that. <laughs> Instead, they pass the blame on. It's not my fault, God. It's the woman that you gave to me, uh, so it's her fault and yours. And it's not my fault, God. It's the serpent that deceived me. Uh, and so they acted just like we do. And in all of this, we see kind of the teaching preparing us to learn about confession and absolution. Right? And so in Genesis so far, we're only to chapter 3, we've seen baptism uh, prefigured. We've seen confession and absolution prefigured. We've seen the Lord's Supper um, prefigured. And we now also uh, have seen how God's Word works as well. So we've got the means of grace, Word and sacrament that we've seen all over. Now to be clear, we see these things, but they are not the foundation in the sense that this isn't where we go to to learn about them. Right When we want to learn about the Lord's Supper, we go to the Verba, our Lord Jesus Christ, the night he was betrayed, took bread. That part, we go there. But when we have that foundation, we can see that this is kind of like the roots that go down underneath that, that um, uh, are teaching it from the very, very beginning. All right, so... That's what we've done. We're getting ready to move on here. Chad's coming around the basket. The mission of the month is uh, Luther Classical College in Casper, Wyoming. And then he's also got some extra sheets from the last uh, week. And so if you need one of those, uh, he's got them. All right. So Adam and Eve have been given the opportunity to confess. But one of their sins, just like ours, 
is actually not confessing sins properly, not trusting that it'll take care of them, but instead being afraid of them. And I guess the thing I want to remind you about this, and this is where we kind of ended last week, don't be afraid of confessing your sins. Don't be afraid of confessing your sins. It's for your good to get them off of your conscience. It's for your good of your faith to no longer have them hanging over you. And when you confess and you receive the absolution, I think you realize it then, but it is so terrifying uh, to go in and to do it. And I think last week we talked about several reasons why that's the case. Um, Whoever believes and holds to Christ's word, Luther says, heaven stands open to him. Hell is shut. The devil is imprisoned. His sins are forgiven. And he is a child of eternal life. Um, These are the words of Luther, I think from the large catechism, uh, on confession and absolution. And so that's the reason that we should uh, partake in that. Now, We're going to keep plugging away here because we're moving on to the next section. Any more questions about confession and absolution? I watched the movie Gary Heckman talked about last week. I confess it was a good movie starring Montgomery Clift from Omaha. Okay, Um, But it, it tells me one more thing that I need to say to you as well. Confession and absolution isn't something you do to manipulate the situation either. Okay. Uh, the the I, I don't know if I call him the bad guy in that movie confesses his sin and then proceeds to frame the priest <laughs> for the murder that he committed instead. Okay, don't do that either. Okay, Pastor Goodroad doesn't want to go to jail. Uh, no, just <laughs> all right. Seeing no questions, we're going to keep going. Genesis three fourteen through twenty one. God's going to take the matter into his own hands now. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And, Adam, and to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so Adam and Eve were confronted with their sin and given the opportunity to confess, uh, and they don't take it. And so now God is going to act anyways. He's still going to 
bring about the way for their forgiveness, even though they were not brave enough, smart enough, I don't know the right way to say it, even though they didn't take advantage of confession and absolution, God is still going to bring about a way for them to be saved. But it's going to now involve both curses and blessings, both. Uh, And that's what we're going to look at here. So we start with um, God is talking to Satan, to the serpent. Okay, And God curses the serpent. Okay, He curses the serpent because... He preached in the place of God a word different than God. Let's just be clear. That's the sin that we see him doing here. When he says, God surely won't do this, did God really say he's preaching a false sermon? And that's then where this curse is going to be placed upon him. And it's cursed above all livestock and beasts. Okay? Um, he is cursed to eat dust, okay, all the days of his life. Now, that eating dust um, is a a two-in-one meaning, okay? So, remember, Satan is depicted here as what sort of a creature? A snake. A snake. Where do snakes move around? Right, they crawl around on the ground in the dust, right? They, they slither around and they never get their head very far out of the dirt, okay? So it means that in one sense, yes, but it means more than that also because who else are we talking about when we use the word dust, Yeah, Adam, right? The name Adam means dirt. When I was a kid, um, Pastor Poppy always called me Dirt Boy. Okay, and my, yeah, he's giving the thumbs up there. Dirt Boy. I always wondered if it rained if my name was mud then, Pastor Poppy. (laughs) Dirt Boy. Adam means dust. And so... When we use the word dust here, yes, we mean he's slithering around on the ground, always dirty in that sense. That idea of always having the dirt right in your face and in your eyes and even sticking out your tongue and tasting it as serpents do. We also mean he's always going to be after who? Man. Mankind. He's always going to be seeking. That's going to be his main focus. Okay? Is to corrupt and destroy Mankind. Okay? We also have, so does that make sense how it's both in one? We also then, right after that, have what we call the Proto Evangelium. Okay? Now that's a fancy word. Um, Proto Evangelium. It is made from two Greek words. Okay? First we have Proto which means first, or number one, or start, proto, okay? And then we have evangelium, which means gospel. God is going to curse Satan. And in the curse, 
If Satan is being cursed, what does that mean for us? (laughs) If he's after us. If, If Satan is after us and God is cursing him, is that good news for us or bad news? Good news. Good news for us. Okay? So it's good news for us what God is going to say to Satan. And he says this, I will put enmity, fancy word for conflict or fighting, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Between your offspring, the woman's, and, or the Satan's offspring, and her offspring, the woman's offspring. He... The woman's offspring will bruise your head. Yeah, will bruise your head and you will crush his heel. Bruise his heel. Man, I'm having trouble talking this morning. Better drink some more coffee here. (laughs) Okay, we have this first gospel. And it talks about a fight that's going to take place between the woman and the serpent. Which is where the conflict began. Okay, and we have the word woman here. This means two things also. Okay, first it is talking very literally about who? Eve. It is talking about Eve. Okay, but it also, when we see the woman, that is referring to also the church. Okay. Um, We talk about this in ways like this. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. Okay, and brides are always girls. Okay, Um, in the book of Revelation, we see this verse played out in depth when it talks about The serpent, the dragon, the great deceiver, and he's out in the wilderness trying to catch the woman, but she gives birth to a son who is snatched up before the serpent could eat it. And then the woman is kept safe in the desert for a time. Okay? That's the same thing here. The church is part of what they were talking about when we talk about the woman. Is there conflict between Satan and the church today? Yes, yes, very directly, okay? There is. It's still going on today, just as God promised. Now, between your offspring and her offspring, who is the offspring, let's start with the easier one, of the woman? First off, we we know when we're talking about the woman Eve, did Eve have children? Yeah, more than we know of. We know at least Cain, Abel, and Seth. So we are talking very directly about them. And by extension, if we're talking about Eve's offspring, who are we talking about? Us, eventually. Okay, so that's part of it. Who would be offspring for, um, for Satan? What's that? See, this is where it's a little trickier, right? Okay. What's that? Uh, Whose offspring of Satan? See, here's yeah, it gets a little. Satan is what sort of a creature? An angel. An angel. And 
Angels do not have what? Offspring. They're all created by God. So who would be his offspring? Here's where it gets a little complicated. Yeah. When we're talking about the offspring of Satan, we're talking about I'm gonna, those who are sinful in their flesh, who listen to his word instead of God's word. So now we've got it really complicated. Do the offspring of the woman Eve and the offspring of Satan overlap in any way then? There is some offspring. There is, right, that that overlap. There are people descended from Eve who do not believe in God and thereby are also offspring of Satan. That's not the only offspring that we're talking about here, though, either. Who else is the offspring of the woman that's very important, that is fulfilled when we read this again in the book of Revelation, that is the offspring who constantly gets promised in the Old Testament? Jesus. Okay? And I'd say these words talk more about Jesus than about anyone else. And we can see Jesus then being the offspring of Eve. He's born of flesh that came through Eve's womb, if you go far enough back. He's offspring of the church in the sense that he is the fulfillment of all that the church is. And we're getting to this time of the year, Christmas time. At Christmas time, what do we remember? also about Jesus. His birth. He's born of the Virgin Mary, offspring of that woman as well. And that's why here too, so that it can be all of these things, it says, between you and the, off- between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This is really weird that it just says her offspring, okay? Because, okay, take my family, I have children. They are Elizabeth's offspring, and they are my offspring, the two of us together. How about Jesus? (laughs) He's born of the virgin. Who's his human father? He doesn't have one. And so when it says her offspring, the woman's offspring here, it's also teaching us already the virgin birth. You see that? Yeah, Tim. Correct. Generally, as we go through the rest of Genesis here, Genesis 5 and Genesis, um, I can't remember if it's 10 or 11 off the top of my head, we're going to see lineages. And we're going to see these even in the, the Gospels when we're talking about Christ. And all the lineages that are in the Scripture, 99% of them go through which person? The Father. Right? And we have the same thing, right? Why do my kids have the last name Moline? Okay? Not just so that they get beat up at school. No, just... 
Because I'm their father. Okay? And I know this is kind of going away. You watch a football game now. All these players have three or four hyphenated names on their back. Okay? But that's the reason that that's that way. (laughs) Generally, genealogies go through the father. But here, we see it mention only the woman. To teach us the virgin birth, teach us about the church, uh, and that it would be through Eve as well. All these things in this one section. All right, any questions about this so far? Am I making sense? Okay, so the woman's offspring and Satan's offspring, okay, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the ESV um, translation. Okay, remember in the old days before we moved to ESV, it said he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Yeah, strike heel. We have the one that I want to emphasize. I really like the word crush, right? And maybe we can think about it even with just the word bruise. Okay, um, John, you, I, I picked on your wife last week, so I'll pick on you today. We'll just rotate across. <laughs> if if um, John stabs me in the heel, but I stab him in the head, <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Which one of those is more dangerous? <clears throat> right. Because when you hurt someone's head, what does it do for their life? It has the great potential to end it. And even like um, people who get injured in their head, they can have traumatic brain injuries, right? Where the rest of their life, things just aren't quite as clear as they were before. But if you get hurt in the heel, that generally speaking is not life-threatening unless you're Achilles, all right? Which is just a myth anyways. Unless you're a venomous snake. Well, unless you're a venomous snake, sure. Can it hurt you if it's a venomous snake biting your heel? Can it kill you? Yeah. But if it bites you in the face, in the head, (laughs) it's still just a little bit worse, right? Okay. All right. We have this idea of crushing the serpent's head as the serpent bruises his heel. And John's right. This is the picture you always see of the snake. It bites you in the heel, um, but the head gets crushed. What is this ultimately referring forward to? The crucifixion of Jesus. Exactly. Okay. Very literally, one of the nails that Jesus gets... nailed to the cross with, goes where? Through his feet. Okay, and in fact, archaeologically speaking, we have found a few feet from people who have been crucified. And it's, I don't know if I should say it right, it's not exactly like we have pictured in the front of church. Okay, generally speaking, the place they put the nail and crucifixion was from the outside of the heel inward, and the post would be between your feet. Okay, so it would go in like this on either side, 
So, so you could, you're standing on the nail with that nail through your heel bone. Okay? So we have very literally Christ's feet being bruised or pierced. Okay? But what happens to, G, or to Satan in the crucifixion of Jesus? He's defeated. His head is crushed. Right? If a serpent's head is crushed, can it bite you any longer? Can it attack you any longer? No. And I don't know if you've ever stepped on a snake before, right? Uh, or even like cut off their head. The body still does what for a while? <laughs> yeah, okay. I loved how many people go like this, right? It still slithers around and coils up and all these things. It still moves on its own for a little while. Okay, but it can no longer hurt you. We see how that is what's being pictured here. Okay, now if what I say doesn't make sense, and I don't know if we can get the sound to work or not, okay, we see this depicted visually in a movie that I think is really good, uh, this depiction of this scene of Genesis 3, okay, and that's in the movie The Passion of the Christ, okay, so since I don't know if the sound will work or not, we're going to... You see Jesus here praying, okay? And then this is Satan. You can tell he's got the worm crawling in and out of his nose, okay? Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There be any other way, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And then we see... What? Coming out of the leg here of Satan. We see a serpent. Okay? The same one, the, the movie wants you to believe, that talked to Adam and Eve in that garden. Okay? And it's coming over to where Jesus is praying to try and tempt Jesus in the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve. Okay? Jesus keeps praying. Satan's kind of grinning here. Aha, I'm going to get you. Okay. All right. Jesus catches his breath. He knows what he's come to do. Gives him the, the look here. Steps on his head. That's the picture that Genesis 3 is painting for us. That's why that's such a great scene from that movie. Because it's bringing the entirety of the scripture um, together in that. Okay? So, Proto-Evangelium, it's the first gospel. It's the first gospel. There's going to be conflict between sinners and Christ, sinners and the church, those who do not believe and those who do. But in the end, Satan's head is going to be crushed. He's going to be destroyed. Jesus is going to be victorious. Okay? Jesus is going to be victorious. He is going to win. All right.
Any questions about the curse to Satan? Or any thoughts? Or does it make sense how this is good news for us? Okay. Well, then we'll keep plugging away because the other ones are related to this also. And maybe we don't think about it that way. Women, what's the curse that God gives you for Eve's falling into sin? Pain and childbirth. Yeah, I think it's just overrated, right? I was there for all four of my kids' births. Didn't hurt me at all. <clears throat> no, just... <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she she was an amazing lady in giving birth. But just I can tell you, it looked like it hurt her a lot. So <laughs> yeah, Deb. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Ladies, is it painful to have a child? Yes. Yes. But what happens through childbirth? The pain is forgotten, I hear. Right? And you hold the, the cute little baby um, in your arms, you know, it goes from screams of pain to smiles and tears and all that, just like that. Okay? What else happens? Yes, you, you lose the pain and you gain joy on the other side of it by looking at your child. That's really, really important. You also then do what? Further the human race, if you will, into the next generation. Right? There'll at least be Moline's even after I die until my kids die. And if they have kids, there'll be Moline's going on after that. That's how the human race is passed on, which is important. But there's more to it even than that. Where does Jesus come from? Let's look at Luke 2, 6 and 7. Okay. Luke 2, 6 and 7. I'm just about there. <clears throat> We're in Bethlehem. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child... And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Who is it that we're talking about there? Jesus. Jesus. How does he come into the world? Through childbirth. Okay, why is it then that why is it that God attaches pain to childbirth? Well, 
What's going to happen eventually through a woman birthing a child? The Savior, Jesus, is going to be born. Okay? It's a process that is necessary in that sense for Jesus to be born. If Eve would have said, it's going to hurt, I'm not having any. How do we get from Adam and Eve to Jesus? We don't. The great pain that comes with it is a reminder of the promise. The promise is both a reminder of the pain of our sin and what it brings about, as well as the promise that is to come in the person of Jesus. Okay? That's why God attaches pain to that. I know sometimes you think about it, that's the most random thing ever, right? Why would God make it hurt? What does that have to do? It's because it's the way the Savior will be born through childbirth. And that's what it says in 1 Timothy 2 also. It says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. How is it that the church is saved? How is it that humanity is saved? They kept having kids until finally what? The virgin conceived and bore a child, laid him in a manger and called his name Jesus because he would be the one who would die for sins. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay, so there's pain connected to childbirth because it's the way Jesus is going to come. Okay? Now that's not, we're going to get to the men too, just so you know. Men have pain also, ladies. We're going to see that when we get to the man. That's not the end of it though. Okay, and this is the part that maybe is a little tougher, right? We know childbirth is going to hurt. We also have this. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay, what does this one mean? This is one that gets a little touchy in our modern world, right? Who is the head of the household, according to the scriptures? Yeah, we have it taught here that it's man. Now, our English translation is a little weird, right? Because it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It's not completely clear just from this one passage how that means headship. But let's look on the next page, if you have a Lutheran study Bible, at Genesis 4, 7. Okay? Because in Hebrew, these two verses mirror each other. Okay, Hebrew or Genesis 4 7, God is talking to Cain. He says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What's crouching at the door for Cain? Sin. And its desire is for what? To rule over Cain. 
And it will, right? That he's going to murder his brother. Okay? Its desire is to rule over him. Now take that idea and go back to what it says about the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband. Okay? Because of sin, what's the desire that is stirred within women (laughs) that it's talking about? To be the head of the household. Right? All right, now anybody... (laughs) Want to comment on that? Yeah, Leonard. So I've got an ESV translation here. It says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Yeah. That's, it must not be the Lutheran study Bible. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. It's a hard place to translate, and it's trying to clarify this same idea. Because of sin... The desire is to switch the order of creation upside down and to confuse it. Sin is working now to do that. And the order of creation says the head of the family, remember we talked about this, Adam is made first, Adam's given God's word, Adam's job is to lead his family, to preach to them and teach them. Now because of sin, what's going to happen? This is going to be contentious. There's going to be conflict. The desire will be to switch it around. Right? Ladies, because sometimes... Are your husbands perfect? No. There's the thought, I think I could do better. Right? And it's... (laughs) Your wife is giving you the eye right now. (laughs) The desire is for it to be opposite to how God designed it. What's the fancy word that we call this today? Feminism. Okay? Feminism in the sense that it's taught now. Okay? We see this whole teaching is flowing out of the fall into sin. Contrary to the order of creation that God made. Now remember, when we talked about Adam being first and then Eve being made, did we say that one is more valuable than the other? Did we say automatically that Adam is smarter than Eve or anything like that? No, but what did we say? That there is an order within the home. And as a result of sin, sinful people seek to desire to mess up that order. We could talk a long time about that. I'm just going to let people think for a second. Leonard. So, you say that, uh, maybe I lost my thought here. Men took this uh, rule over too far, and feminism was a response to a, to a sin of uh, really taking, taking this idea away. <laughs> There's sin on both sides, yes. And we're talking about it right now in in regards to women, because that's the order in the scripture here. Um, Husbands, what's your job when it comes to your wife? To love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To sacrifice everything 
to take care of your wife and family. Is that the way that it's always been played out in history, or have men sinned too? (laughs) Is it lovingly sacrificing for your wife when you come home from work and go and sit on the couch and say, take off my shoes, rub my feet, and bring me a cold beer. By the way, I like my steak medium rare. (laughs) Guys, is that sacrificing for your wife? No. Okay. So there's sin on both sides. Yeah, Tim. And I'm going to go back again to something I brought up a couple of weeks ago. That if you look at Mary and Martha when Jesus is visiting, um, the better part is being subordinate to the husband's catechesis and his role as pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Is it easy? No, that's what it says here, right? Your desire now is for it to not be the way that it, put, that, it, that it is playing out, that God designed it. Your desire is to have it the other way. Okay? I know we're just barely touching on this, but uh, I imagine that you guys here at Good Shepherd have had conversations about this as well in the ACELC document on order of creation. Is that fair to say, Pastor Poppy? Yes. Okay. So I hope it's nothing new. That's why I'm kind of just trying to go by it quickly here. Does not lower the value of women or anything like that. What it's saying is that there's an order and that both men and women have a job within that order. And both of us fall short in it because men, our, our temptation is to step back and let things be run so that we do just sit on the couch, which is sinful also. And Ephesians 5, if you want to study it, that's where to look to kind of lay these things out very, very, very clearly. That's where the woman sometimes needs to resist even when the man resists. But when they resist, and you insist, you become this nagging woman. <laughs> so yeah, the, well... How do, you, how do you go about life that and, and to make it through that time? And then... There, maybe... There's time and they go off with ma- whatever and you decide you want to play the subordinate life again and become the person that God made you. The... You... Maybe the thing to say, D, there's a reason this talks, this is discussed after we've kind of talked about confession and absolution, right? (laughs) Okay. This is maybe dangerous to do it this way. Men, raise your hand if you've been the perfect husband always sacrificing for your wives. I'm just going to put mine farther down here so there's no miss. Okay. Ladies, raise your hand if you've been the perfect wife, always submissive to your husband. Okay, so what does that say about all of us, that no hands were raised either time? That we're all sinners, and the only way that the order of creation can actually be practiced within our families and our marriages is by forgiveness and mercy and faith in God. Men are going to screw up, ladies are going to screw up, 
And when this happens, we need to have a conversation and forgive because Christ has forgiven us first. Okay? Submission isn't, doesn't mean that you're a slave, <laughs> but it, it does mean the man is supposed to lead. That's a hard, hard thing in our day. Our world doesn't do us any favors in understanding this. Yes, Pastor Poppy. Right. I agree. Um, I hope everybody heard him. He's got a loud voice. And I think that that's the beautiful thing from Ephesians 5 is that St. Paul says this isn't really ultimately about husband and wife. It's about Christ and the church in which we are the bride and he is the groom. And he tells us his word and he sacrifices for us, right? This is, this is the picture of Christ on the cross as well as his whole life and ministry. He gives everything he has. What does he have left on Good Friday evening about 4 o'clock as he's hanging on the cross? His clothes are gone, his home is gone, his blood is gone, his life is gone, his friends are gone, everything is gone. For what? For the church. Okay? And we as a church, are you glad that he did that? Do you listen to his word because he did that? Do you submit to him? Yeah. So if it's hard to think about, think about that first and then look at your marriage in that way. And you do grow in this way, okay? And I think you're right, Pastor Poppy, that it's something that you grow into the longer you're married as well. And you see this um, in couples who are towards the end of their lives, right? Okay, you've seen the little old man with the cane walks around the car and opens the door for his wife with the walker and helps her in the door and then walks back around and goes to park the car. You've seen these things, right? What's he doing? Right? And she's glad for it and follows him as a result. Okay, and it's feminism then, so we're out of time, I know I used the word and I didn't really go into it that far. Feminism says what? We're going to turn it upside down, and I'm, I'm, we maybe have to talk more about the definitions of feminism here. I, I'm not, there's different layers to the word. Feminism turns it upside down and says we should do it opposite to how God designed it. Okay.
So Deb already said, it's been nice knowing me. (laughs) So now I'm going to close us and then sprint to the door. (laughs) Just teasing. (laughs) If you have questions, Pastor Goodroad and I are happy to talk about this anytime. And we'll, we'll study God's Word together. Yeah. There's a saying in our country, who wears the pants in the who, who wears the pants in the family? <coughs> yeah. <laughs> that saying's gotten more complicated, hasn't it? <laughs> well, we won't open that door. We'll close here and we'll pick up with this idea next week. And then we'll also look at the results of sin to man as well and see how there's pain there also. And it'll also then, you know, if we're seeing this all in light of Christ, help us clarify the picture even more. Uh, So we'll do that next week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.